Good morning and welcome to Campus Beat, a holiday in the news special. I'm now in studio with Dr. Monica Labarge, Professor of Marketing at the Smith School of Business here at Queen's University, who is here in studio with us today to tell us a little bit about the work companies engage in to convince consumers like you and I to buy holiday gifts from them instead of the competition. Firstly, welcome, Monica. Appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. This is a really great opportunity. I'm really excited. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and the research and teaching that you're doing here at Smith? Sure. So I'm one of the, uh, I guess we've got maybe eight faculty uh, in the marketing area at Smith, and I'm what we call a consumer behavior researcher. So I focused mostly on what the consumer does and how the consumer reacts to what companies do. Uh, And specifically, I do a lot of work in what we call transformative consumer research or consumer well-being. So I'm always sort of on the lookout for um, how we can help Uh, consumers make better choices. So I do some research in the area of food and uh, um, I've done stuff in the area of exercise. I look at vulnerable consumer groups like older adults and how we can sort of construct marketplaces in a way to uh, make them better off in the marketplace. So basically that's that's sort of the gist of what I, the research that I do. Okay, thank you very much for that. Now I understand um, that you've recently identified a number of strategies uh, that companies uh, use in order order to um, have us uh, select their product over that of a competitor. And this is especially important to know about or think about uh, during the holiday season when a lot of people are making choices about the gifts that they're buying. Can you tell us about some of the strategies that companies, in fact, are using to get us to buy their stuff? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the most interesting things to me about marketing is that it's one of those fields that you observe around you all of the time, right? Because even though we're marketers, we're also consumers. And so, you know, we see what happens and try and in some cases, protect ourselves against the efforts that that we know that marketers engage in to try and get us to do certain things. But we also observe trends over time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, certainly some of the things we've seen uh, change a lot, let's say over the last 10 years, is a lot more influence of... um, what we call influencers uh, on social media, for mm-hmm. instance, right? So um, if you have, if you're on Instagram and you follow certain people who are known for fashion or cosmetics or shoes or sustainable products, uh, that you'll see them featuring certain products. And that's usually not by accident, right? These people are not just wandering around looking for these kinds of products. So they might be in some cases, but often though those companies or brands will contact them and say, would you feature uh, my product. And so that's one of the things that we've seen more and more is what we call, that's what we call product seeding, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, in Canada and in the US, you are supposed to disclose if you've been given a product and you're, you know, you get to keep it and uh, in your reviews, but that doesn't always happen. So it's something that I think consumers should be really aware of okay. that these people who are giving these unbiased reviews may or may not, may not be as unbiased as they claim. Because they may be, in fact, getting some perquisite or being paid for it. Right. right. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. 
Now, what about uh, top 10 lists? Yeah, so that's another. So I used to work in public relations before I uh, before I became an ap- academic. And that's always sort of been one of the key uh, ways that you could use non-advertising methods to try and get people to buy uh, your products. And, you know, they do have a function for sure. Uh, if you are buying a gift for somebody you don't really know very well or you don't really have any shared interests, of course, it's helpful to have somebody sort of help you figure out what to buy because, you know, I think as, even though we use, we talk about the internet as like this world of inf- information, sometimes there's just too much information. Mm-hmm. And we, uh, I don't personally do a lot of research in the area of gift giving, but there is more and more happening in marketing and consumer behavior where there's, you know, a lot of these complicated dynamics, right? Like what you think about what does the person you're giving the gift to going to think about you based on what you chose or um, what are they going to think you think about them? And so there's all these sort of complicated interpersonal considerations. And so it's not just buying a gift for somebody. It's, it's There's a whole lot of other uh, things underlying that. And so in some ways, if you say, hey, this was on a top 10 gift, or gift list for cyclists, and I know you're a cyclist, then at least you can sort of in some ways, like shelter yourself a little bit against mm-hmm. criticism, like, oh, I don't really want this, right? Um, but it's also just helpful. And, mm-hmm. you know, typically, um, if they're put together by people who really know that area, then it, it can be a really good guide uh, right. to consumers. Okay. And now I'd heard of a couple of other strategies too that uh, that uh, uh, you were uh, looking into as well. Um, and this is, gets a little more technical for me as somebody who doesn't necessarily understand marketing. Um but driving purchases with various price promotions and certainly promoting scarcity of the product. These sound fascinating. Yeah, so, you know, that's no a time-honored um, uh, tradition in marketing. As you, you know, we uh, we say for a limited time only. Right. And so you get this feeling of, oh, I better buy it now because mm-hmm. there's going to be more later, right? That's a that's a, just a general consumer response to scarcity. Um, and we do it in, in terms of buying products. And, and they're, you know, because we have this bleed over from the US with Black Friday and you know that week of shopping yes. about a month before Christmas it feels like it starts then and then just sort of continues as you get closer to the holidays mm-hmm. uh, then they start talking about are you going to get it in time for Christmas right so sort of pushing that you should order it now or you you're not going to have that present for Uncle Joe uh, under the tree and then you're going to be in trouble so mm-hmm. um, there's a whole sort of drive in a variety of different ways uh, towards scarcity. And then we start to see too things like, oh, we'll gift wrap it for you. Well, that sounds great. That means I don't have to gift wrap it or we'll guarantee you delivery by this date if you mm-hmm. order by this date. And and so especially with online shopping, we're starting to see yeah. more and more of those kinds of emails from companies saying, you know, either talking about the price promotion or for a limited time, or here's all these extras, extras that you wouldn't have gotten okay. 10 years ago. So I'm not really sure about... Um... Uh, the emotive or, or psychological responses here, but I'm, I'm kind of interested to maybe if you can flesh out just a bit how some of these strategies actually alter or perhaps motivate a desired behavior or action from a consumer. Yeah, so one of the sort of side effects of scarcity is that it it taps into one part of your decision-making process that might then subvert some of those other things, right? Like, is this really exactly what I want? Is this really how much I want to spend? Um, And, you know, we start to see some of these, if you look at uh, some of the Black Friday uh, uh, 
shopping data, we see that people are spending more and more like over, you know, across the population, you'll see a per capita greater spend every, every, every year. There's no reason to believe that that there would be some other reason for that happening, right? Other than the ramp up in the sales, you know, we see more and more of these tactics being employed by marketers. And so that is probably the most likely driver of this increasing amount of spending, not because all of a sudden consumers inherently have a need for more stuff, right? right. That, that just doesn't, there's nothing to support that. So right. uh, they, these, you know, these scarcity drivers, you know, for lack of another word, really can subvert some of those other decision making me- mechanisms that you might take if you had more time to decide, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I kind of wonder too, uh, do uh, companies in their marketing strategies, are they following trends in your view? Or are they in fact setting them? Oh, that's one of those chicken and egg questions, right? No, um, I just threw you a yeah. little bit. So, uh, you know, that's always been one of the, I teach a marketing and society class, and we actually talk a lot about this in the context of advertising. Mm-hmm. So and we talk about it in the in the context of stereotyping and, and sort of portrayal of perfect bodies and things like that is, is that a reflection of society or is that creating an expectation among society that that's the, the ideal image, right? Okay. Um, and so... I'm going to have to take a pass on that question because I think it really is we don't the jury's still out right okay. to what extent is is the competitive drive to to do the same thing as everybody else where does that come from right when it when it's sort of happening uh, concurrently with, you know, everybody's doing it at the same time, it's hard to figure out what was the instigation for it mm-hmm. uh, versus you're just doing it because everybody else is doing it and you don't want to get left behind. Right. Yeah. So that's that's a difficult question. You Like <laughs> ask me the, you know, the, the silver bullet question that I don't have the answer to, Dinah. That sounds like <laughs> a, a big research grant it, waiting to happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, with an understanding of how companies work to convince us to buy their products over those of their competitors, I wonder if you have any... Uh, advice for shoppers out there in Radio Land trying to purchase their own holiday gifts and what strategies do you use in your own gift shopping? Yeah, I mean, I think one of them is just like with so much other stuff. Uh, I've been in the studio before talking about food waste. And, um, you know, one of the first things we, we talk about is intentionality, right? So if you you can get around some of these sort of uh, subconscious pressures that you might not be aware of, like scarcity and some of these other influences, if you are intentional about your shopping, right? So if you say, I'm going to spend, you know, X amount on this person, and this is what I really think that they want, then that gets you maybe potentially out of this trap. Okay. Um, I was just reading a, an article yesterday about more and more people going to zero gift Christmases and mm-hmm. focusing on spending time with, with family or homemade gifts or, mm-hmm. you know, really low dollar limits, right? So that it's some sort of a, uh, I don't want to say a trivial, but a small sort of token as opposed to trying to find this magic thing that somebody's going to love forever and ever, which in reality, your chances of hitting that are like about as good as, as getting as winning the lottery. <laughs> uh, and then the other thing I think too, um, especially with kids, and I have two young kids of my own, is thinking about maybe some experiential things, right? So it's, and we know that actually people really enjoy experiential gifts. They like giving them, they like getting them. Mm-hmm. Um, so looking at some of those things that are going to have more value over time than just a, a single thing. So I think thinking through what is it that you're really wanting to accomplish, and instead mm-hmm. of searching around for the, the you know the the most perfect thing that you can buy, mm-hmm. thinking about what are maybe some other uh, options. 
All right. Well, thank you very much for that sage advice mm-hmm. and for uh, coming into the studio today. Uh, I've been sitting in here with Dr. Monica Labarge, uh, Professor of Marketing at the Smith School of Business. A real pleasure to have you in studio today. Thanks for having me, Donna. Sleigh bells ring. Are you listening in the lane? Snow is glistening, a beautiful sight. We're happy tonight, walking in a winter wonderland. Gone away is the bluebird, here to stay is the new bird. He sings a love song as we go along, walking in a winter wonderland. In the meadow we can build a snowman. And pretend that he's Parson Brown He'll say, are you married? We'll say, no man But you can do the job when you're in town Later on, we'll conspire As we dream by the fire To face unafraid the plans that we made Walking in a winter wonderland So welcome back to Campus Beat in the News, our special holiday edition. I'm now in the studio with Professor David Murakami Wood, Canada Research Chair in Surveillance Studies with the Department of Sociology at Queen's University here in Kingston, Ontario. Thank you so much for coming in today. It's a pleasure. It's an absolute pleasure to uh, meet you in person and have the opportunity to chat with you all about not giving the gift of surveillance this Christmas. Uh, yeah, so before we talk about this uh, and uh, gift giving in the era of privacy issues and data leaks, can you tell us about yourself and your research and teaching at Queen's? Yeah, well, as you said, I'm Canada Research Chair in Surveillance Studies, and what I do is I study the political and social effects uh, of surveillance in cities around the world. Mainly, uh, I work specially in Tokyo and London, and also, of course, in Canada, here in Canada. Um, and the Surveillance Studies Centre is a pretty unique institution where uh, we've been studying surveillance here since about 1993. And the centre is, you know, a world leading uh, place for the study of surveillance. Wonderful. Now, David, you made an interesting comment recently stating that this holiday season, folks should not give the gift of surveillance and avoid giving gifts that are essentially data harvesting devices, including voice assistance. Uh, voice assistance and smart technology. What types of devices should people be concerned about and why? Well, increasingly over the last few years, we've seen a rise in devices that that seem like they perform a useful purpose, and indeed they do. I I wouldn't like people to think that voice assistants are useless. Mm -hmm. In fact, for some people, they can be really essential in ways that they would be able to access the internet that would be impossible in in other circumstances. So for people with uh, you know visual disabilities and things, voice assistants are amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, however, for many people, these devices are simply a gimmick. They're you know they think they're something like out of Star Trek where you can talk to the computer and you know say computer do this for me and essentially that's what they are. But what you're doing when you when you have one of these devices is that you're providing the people who make these devices and anybody else they sell to all kinds of personal data. 
So we're looking here, you know, in some cases, once you have these devices on, they record everything that's going on around them. Some of them don't. It really depends. And this is something people have to be very much careful of. It's not just that, you know, it's not just that you turn these things on and they record everything, but there are particular settings. There are ways of using these devices in more careful ways. But as we know, most people never change the defaults. Mm -hmm. And most people never read the instruction manual or never certainly never read the licensing agreement that says what you are signing up to when you use one of these devices. We all do this, right? Mm -hmm. Even I, I don't read licensing agreements and I'm somebody who should know better, right? And it's the same with apps as well. Everything like yeah. that, yeah. It's very much the case. So particular kinds of apps that do this, you know, people gift apps now. We gift little devices that do things. I saw a device the other day that promised to quantify your social life. It's like, first of all, I was wondering, why would you want to quantify your social life anyway? But, you know, it seems that our social life is now competitive. And we know this from Facebook, right? With the urge to acquire more friends to, you know, than other people, the urge to kind of seem more connected. I'm not sure exactly what would be involved in quantifying your social life in more detail. But these are the kinds of gimmicks and devices that people are giving to each other now. Mm -hmm. um, and it seems in some ways a, a bit of a poisoned gift, you know, to... If, right. What would somebody be saying to you if you gave, gave you a device that quantified your social life? What that was really telling somebody. But uh, <laughs> that aside, and I think you've got to be very careful that, you know, you don't give somebody a device that essentially is going to harvest their data for commercial purposes. I think to be clear here, we're really not talking about the government. Okay. You know, this is not the, uh, you know, the CSIS or the NSA or any other intelligence agency that is harvesting this data, it's commercial. Mm -hmm. But that in some ways is, you know, far more uh, consequential in our lives these days. And it's not just that you get nice things sent to you as marketing or, you know, emails about useful things that you would like. This data is being sold all over the place. Okay. And you've really got to be careful where it's going when you when you you know when you sign up to the to using these kinds of devices. Now, so we weren't. Uh, you mentioned this is not necessarily uh, dealing with government surveillance, mm. but more about data collection uh, from uh, I am assuming various companies. Mm -hmm. um, and this is uh, just hearkening back to uh, an article I read earlier this year by Vivian Ng and Catherine Kent at the University of Essex, mm -hmm. which talked about smartphones, their convenience for people who have access to information literally at their fingertips in ways that we have never enjoyed before, but also that the data that these devices generate to build, uh, build digital profiles that uh, can reveal quite intimate information about our personal lives. So what kind of information is actually being extracted Who's collecting the data and why? I mean, almost everybody is interested in this data now because this is the this is the sort of liquid gold of, of the marketing world, right? They really want as much information they can get about individuals because the old-fashioned sort of mass marketing techniques mm -hmm. don't work anymore. That this is what they think anyway, and they want to personalize this. They want to individualize it. So to get something that you want, not just that something that you know everybody wants. Mm -hmm. And if they can't get what you want, maybe people like you. And this is a you know having putting you in a category that's good enough is usually what this is about. So. You know, people who like this also like this. You know, mm -hmm. that's how Amazon recommendations work. It's, mm -hmm. it's how a lot of uh, Netflix recommendations work in or the same with, way. Or when I'm in Facebook and I happen to look at an online catalog and then two days later, I just keep seeing ads for that. Exactly. And, and people are convinced that somehow the camera is watching them through Facebook. This isn't the case, right? It's, it's what you've done. Mm -hmm. People just don't know what they are doing on Facebook half the time. What they, If they click on something, even if you hover on something, and actually even if you type something in the box, but don't send it or post it. That's recorded. Okay. So people have got to be aware that what they're doing on social media even is is much more 
um, you know, it's likely to have much more wider reaching effects than they realize. And just because you didn't post something you were thinking about posted, posting, that also sometimes is, is recorded in that context. Oh, wow. So, you know, this is increasingly the case. Twitter, too, does this, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, when, you are, when you're working on social media, this kind of stuff is combined. This information is combined with uh, voice assistant type of data now. And that can be packaged into a nice, neat set of profiles which are sold by these companies to other companies, usually to companies that are affiliated with them. And you've got to look at the details. This is why you should read the licensing agreements mm -hmm. about who these people can sell data to. Mm -hmm. But of course, one of the other interesting um, areas here is these things aren't just being you know, sold as private uh, devices anymore. Schools and universities are starting to use them. There's been several cases in the US where universities have been given voice assistance by companies you know, mm -hmm. you know, to make it easier to teach and to research. And you should be very careful when something arrives, you know, to you free, you've got to ask who's paying okay. and what the price is. Okay. And the, the cliche is that if you're not paying, you're the product, but it's more complicated than that, actually. It's, it's not just that you're the product, but you're also part of the infrastructure here, essentially. Mm -hmm. You're actually playing a role in this that makes you part of the system. So you're both the source of the information, but you're also playing a role in putting that information out there. So you're essentially becoming part of that, that machine marketing system. Okay. Um, if, especially if you get, and if you get gifted something that way, you've really got to ask those sort of questions and think about that more carefully. All right. What do you think um, in terms of, uh, there's this new device that a couple of people have encountered now seem to have in their home. It's called an Alexa. <laughs> what is Alexa? And is it actually a scary thing? <laughs> well, I think so. I mean, it's, you know, this is exactly the example of what I was talking about earlier on, where people think they've got this simple device which you speak to, and it, you know, gives you what you want. I mean, Alexa itself is an Amazon device, mm -hmm. but there are, and, and originally it's connected simply to, you know, ordering things from Amazon. That was the original purpose. You could say to Alexa, you know, order me this, I want this. Um, but it's become much more than that now. I think that was always the intention. And Alexa and Siri, which is the Microsoft, mm -hmm. sorry, the Apple voice assistant, and there are many others for Google and Microsoft as well. These are all devices that are essentially trying to create profiles of you in order to, as far as the companies are concerned, serve you better. But their idea of what that means goes far beyond just giving you a more useful device that will interface with the internet, which is essentially what it is. Mm -hmm. They actually want to create large scale profiles of information about you that they can then monetize. They sell this data, right? This is, I mean, you've got to remember these companies predominantly, whatever they supposedly do, whether they're like Amazon selling goods, whether like Google being a search engine, whatever they are, they are really advertising and data um, broking companies. Mm -hmm. That's so their main source of income. So, yeah, I was going to say, so it sounds like the, the value of the data is more than the value that the products they're actually trying to sell you. In many cases, that's that's oh, true, although it's or equally important. I mean, in some cases, those are the foundations of this new kind of economy. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and so some people have suggested, well, in that case, why don't we just get paid for the data that we're giving them? Mm -hmm. which sounds great until you realize that just normalizes and legitimizes everything and then you can't ever escape from this right, right. you know it's and it becomes a really difficult thing to escape from because those who have more valuable data you know get more out of it and those who have less valuable data get less and in a free market system that we have this essentially means that again once again as normal the rich get richer and the poor get poorer and there we are so you know this you've got to ask what's the solution then okay well I have a question then, maybe offering a solution uh, as we close out our program today. What 
holiday gift advice might you give to to the listeners out there in Radio Land? Well, personally, I mean, there's there's a there's a very much a big counter movement now saying we should get back to the idea of giving gifts that are more personal and you know like a handmade that you actually show that you actually care about somebody in in a personal way, and that's really what I, where I would leave it here. I think we've gone for many years way too far down the commercial route here anyway this this holiday season wasn't about buying things it never was supposed to be about that and i think whatever religion you are whatever beliefs you have or don't have in the end i think we've got to get back to making good solid personal connections with each other and that isn't about giving people the gift of surveillance thank you very much uh dr david murakami wood from uh, surveillance studies here in the Department of Sociology at Queen's University. I really do appreciate your time. Thanks for coming in today. It's been fun.